Good morning. Thank you for your kind words, Bill. Um, so good to be here. Since we, Hannah and I, started leading the evening service, we don't get to come to this service as much. And so it's really nice to be here with all of you. We're having loads of fun in the evening service. God's showing up and we're enjoying meeting with him like I know you are here. So we, as Bill said, we are halfway through our four-week series on friendship. So far, we have looked at friendship with God. Carla Harding spoke about that. And then last week, Pete talked about having a friendship with ourselves and getting to know who we really are and having a grace for ourselves. And so now for the next two weeks, we're going to start looking at friendships with other people. Next week, literally, it's called Friendship with Others. This week, we're going to be looking at when friendships break. And um, obviously, obviously, all of these subjects are huge. And so we're just going to really be scratching the surface of it. But what I love is that as Emmaus, we really want to explore these types of things. I think a lot of churches talk about community and friendship and the importance of that. But we don't often do much of exploring. How do we actually get equipped and tooled up to do friendships well? And so let's see where we go. The Bible has a surprisingly large amount to say about friendships, and particularly in the book of Proverbs. To put some important context on that, Proverbs is the book of wisdom. And if you are someone who believes the words of the Bible, then you have to believe that the author of Proverbs, Solomon, was, other than Jesus, the wisest man to have ever lived. And Proverbs are his kind of attempt at distilling down all of that wisdom into manageable chunks. We, um, we need to make sure that we don't become guilty of kind of just making them pithy sayings. I mean, these are literally the words of the wisest man to have ever lived, and they require our attention. And as you go through Proverbs, you find that this theme of friendship is a constant thread that Solomon keeps coming back to. And Timothy Keller explains it really well when he talks about Proverbs, and he says that Proverbs are a way in which we can make good decisions when they're not black and white morality decisions, right? So when you're faced with a situation, and it's not a moral decision, there's not like a, a sinful way and a right way, there's just lots of different ways. Proverbs is there to teach you how to make the best decision in those gray areas. And what Proverbs says about friendship is that to live a wise life, to live the best kind of life available to you, we need to get really good at finding the tools that show us how to choose, forge, and keep terrific friendships. Okay, so Proverbs tells us that to live a wise life, we need to get the tools that show us how to forge, choose, and keep terrific friendships. And yet, it's interesting because I think in our Western 21st century culture, we like friendships but I don't think we hold them with anywhere near an equal importance, as Solomon clearly did. For example, if Hollywood is often a really good kind of mirror on cultural thinking, how many films, books, songs do you know which focus around friendship love as opposed to romantic love? There's not many, is there? And yet one of the ones that really was all about friendship love is Lord of the Rings, right? But it's interesting, if you read the book, The Lord of the Rings, this kind of romantic theme between Aragorn and Arwen actually only turns up in the appendices in the book. And yet when Peter Jackson made his films, 
he realized that for people to grab hold of them and enjoy them, that he'd have to put that right into the center of the story. And so through all three of the trilogy, you find this kind of ongoing theme of this romantic relationship between Aragon and Arwen. Another way to look at it is I wonder how much time we spend thinking, hoping, praying, talking about romantic relationships. And they're incredibly important, but I wonder if our friendships have gone to the back burner a little bit. Do you spend much time thinking, praying, talking about those? I wonder if maybe we've relegated our friendships to the appendices, and yet the wisest man to have ever lived considered them absolutely crucial to wise and correct living. There's this really beautiful quote by C.S. Lewis, which fits really nicely because he was like BFFs with J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings. And C.S. Lewis says, Friendship is the greatest of worldly goods. Certainly to me, it is the chief happiness of life. If I had to give a piece of advice to a young man about a place to live, I think I should say, sacrifice almost everything to live where you can be near your friends. Isn't that just awesome? I love to kind of picture Tolkien and Lewis sat in the Eagle and Child pub or whatever it was called and, you know, talking about their little fantasy lands and challenging and inspiring, critiquing one another. And in that place, just obviously realizing this depth of friendship that's available. But as I was thinking about it, I wondered if part of the reason we don't have, we don't put as high as a, of an importance on friendships is that we don't really expect enough of our friendships. We focus on the comfort, support, encouragement, companionship that friendship offers. And all of those things are like really vital. They're really important. But we can be really guilty of settling for that when actually the Bible holds friendship to a much greater account. For example, many of you would have heard Carla Harding when she spoke a few weeks ago. And she threw in this proverb that said, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Right? And I felt such a challenge in my heart because I started realizing when was the last time I was willing to put apart my awkwardness and wound one of my friends? And when was the last time I was willing to make an environment whereby I invited them to do the same? Because I'm so aware that I have all of these blind spots. I don't want to get to my deathbed thinking that all the way through. I never cultivated friendships where I let them wound me, let them challenge me, let them be honest with me about where I'm doing well, when I'm doing badly. And I think one of the really big moments for me is that I realized that we don't just make friendships when we're Christians. God entrusts friendships to us. And unless I'm at times willing to take those and challenge and, you know, wound my friends a little bit, I'm not really living up to everything that God has called me to do and be in that friendship. And so I felt this challenge. When was the last time that happened for me? There is a hero in heaven called Paul because there is a hero in heaven called Barnabas. And there is a hero in heaven called David, maybe only because there's a hero in heaven called Jonathan. I'm convinced that God has called every single person here to something that is so much greater than yourself. But what he does is he gives you his Holy Spirit and then he surrounds you with a community that is there to comfort and challenge, inspire, call out the greatness inside of you, call you to do more and bigger. And we want to have friendships that do that. 
And um, I know next week we're going to be looking at friendships with others, and so I'm not going to kind of labor on this point. But this is why it's so important that we do everything we can to fight loneliness in our city. God hates loneliness. And so the calling of this church is wherever we see loneliness in Guildford, he's calling us to change that. And I'm sure Sam will pick up parts of that next week. And the thing is, is that once we realize how important friendships are and all the power and worth that can be contained in them, what we realize is that they're going to be contested. There isn't a single thing in this life that's worth something that isn't going to be contested. And so if friendships really do contain all of this potential, then of course they're going to be contested. And therefore, we need to be a group of people who learn two things. One, how do we do everything we can to stop our friendships breaking? And two, what can we do if they do? And so we're going to look at those two things today. The first one, how do we stop friendships from breaking? Proverbs 17.7 says, a friend loves at all times. The Bible does us this huge favor in that it articulates clearly what it means by love in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7. And I'm just going to read that to you. And I just want to encourage you and invite you to just really dwell on the words, really think about what they mean. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking or easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. A friend loves at all times. I once felt this kind of conviction in that my life, I'd taken you know, this incredibly profound part of scripture and I'd reduced it down to just like a wedding thing that gets read at weddings. You know? And actually, it's like this gritty how-to guide about how to do community and friendships well. So I made a decision I was going to try and meditate on it a little bit. And so I went along and I got my mirror at home and I wrote in marker pen on it, love is patient. I thought I'd go through the whole list. I got as far as love is patient. I was like, man, love is patient. How profound is that? It's interesting that when Paul sits down to pen out this articulation of what love looks like, the first thing that pops into his mind is patience. I wonder if we were to do a poll for how many of us here patience would have even made the list if we were trying to write it down. And what that tells me is not to be surprised when friendships and communities get frayed And that to have relationships that thrive, I have to take up this constant posture of patience. And then we carry on down the list. It's kind. It doesn't self-seek. It never, ever dishonors. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It isn't easily insulted. Culture would love to convince you that love is primarily an emotional response. But this is not a list of emotional highs. I think that what Paul is actually telling us is that love is full of resolutions. It is loads of daily choices that say, I resolve to be patient with you. I resolve to forget the times that you've wronged me. I resolve to protect you. I resolve to always believe the best of you. 
And we need to change our thinking that actually having friendships when we have to do this aren't signs of unhealthy friendships, so much as they're a sign of someone who realizes that there is potential contained in this friendship and therefore it is going to be contested. And I am up for the fight. And the weapons of my warfare are simply these. Patience, kindness, trust, hope, believing the best, speaking well, forgiveness, overlooking, overlooking wrongs. Not always having to be right. I remember a lot of you would have met my wife, and you would know she's opinionated, and so am I. And um, I remember when I was younger, I obviously had strong opinions, and I have this really clear memory of my mum praying that I would find a woman who would stand up to me. And um, God clearly answered that prayer, which is great. Um, and I remember we were having this, like, some stupid argument. I can't remember what it was about. That's how stupid it was. And I... Um, We'd like been going on about this thing, and then I had to drive somewhere. And it sounds really bad when I, you articulate it, but I remember driving and thinking, oh, how could she not realize that I was right? You know, I'll say this, and then she'll probably say this, but she'll be wrong because I'll say this, and then she might say this. But, and you know, you, you have like both sides of an argument in your head. And then it got slightly worse because I remember thinking, and this is bad, oh, God, I wish you were here because as an objective person, you'd be able to tell her that I'm right. And I was like, oh. But I just remember so clearly God saying, Adam, I don't care who's right. And I was like, oh. In only the way that God come, can do, he just kind of comes in and just challenges me. And I'm like, oh, you're so right. I'm sorry. God is so not bothered about who's right most of the time. But he is really bothered about the fact that our relationships stay connected just so you know, she's actually speaking at Revelation Church. She's not here because of that. She's not not here because of that argument. She's, she's speaking. We saw it out. There is a Chinese saying which I really love, and it says, greater is the bamboo that bends than the oak that resists. And I think that this is a wonderful picture for friendships inside community. I'm a scientist at heart. I've got a chemistry degree. So I decided to get a little nerdy and look at why can bamboo bend that way. And it turns out it's because the hemicellulose inside of it, when moisture comes in, it stops that from crystallizing. Because if it was to crystallize, it would become brittle and snap. But when moisture comes in, it allows it to bend, right? And I just have this idea of that moisture. That is that gritty love that Paul is talking about that allows our communities to bend like a bamboo that we don't find our strength in standing tall and being right, but we find our strength in our ability to bend under pressure. I resolve to have so much grace with you. I resolve to have so much patience with you. And actually, you can follow this thing, and it goes a little bit further. How many of you remember the hit film, Shanghai Nights? No one. No one remembers that film. Yes. So Shanghai Nights is this film about Jackie Chan and Owen Wilson. And um, this is probably the first time that's ever quoted Lord of the Rings and Shanghai Nights in one. So, and they find themselves in prison, right? And they have to break out. And um, one of them takes off their shirt and they wrap it around two bars, okay? So imagine you've got two bars like this. They wrap the shirt around it and then they get a piece of wood like a stick. They stick it through the fabric and they begin to twist it, right? And so eventually as they twist it, the shirt gets tighter on the bars. Well, it turns out that if you leave the shirt dry, it will tear. But if you wet the shirt, suddenly it becomes strong enough to bend the bars. 
I really believe that if we can develop friendships that are so drenched in this gritty 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love, there's this incredible power that's going to be there. And, you know, we often, we have to bend. God calls us to do that, to be this way. But there's times when we have to, we do have to challenge. Things need to be said. And Pete touched on this last week. But Jesus gives us the kind of how-to guide on how to challenge someone. And he says, especially in this like church community, when you have an issue with someone, go and speak to them. You know, we complicate that. And we say, yeah, but this and that, and, you know, I should probably talk to this. No, Jesus says, if you've got an issue with someone, first of all, go and speak to them. And if that doesn't work, bring in someone else. And if that doesn't work, you can bring in more and more people. But we have to take this as a commandment and not a suggestion. This is what we have to do. As a community, if we're going to stay strong and stay together, we have to make the decision that I am willing to challenge you. I'm willing to go and say something to you, and I'm not willing to gossip. I'm not willing to go and talk to other people before I speak to you. I, um, I guess that comes with this caveat, though, that we have to make a decision to be a community of people that speak the truth in love. We don't just love to speak the truth. You know? A while ago, I remember making a decision as I was kind of thinking through how to develop friendships well and discipleship friendships and all of that. And I felt like God gave me this challenge to always set my friends up to win, you know. And so in every situation, I want to do my best to set them up to win. And even the way that I challenge and confront when that needs to be done, I try to think before I go into that conversation, how do I do this in such a way that I set them up to win? And... I have this, uh, this friend who, um, she always makes this decision that whenever she hears a prophetic word about a friend, she memorizes it. And when asked why, she said, because if I do that, I can always learn to treat them the way that God sees them. How beautiful is that? Sometimes I can be guilty of not even remembering my own prophetic words. But she makes this decision to just try to remember all of her friend's prophetic words so that she can always try and treat them and call them to what God sees in them. But the truth is, is that as much as we do this and as much as we're willing to bend, there is times when then relationships are going to get broken. Like that happens for a whole host of reasons. And as I was thinking through how I talk about this, I realized that often in a broken friendship, you can either be the person that something bad has happened to, or you're the person that's done something wrong. Or, you know, in lots of cases, it's a little bit of both. The thing with this one is if you know that you've done something wrong, then it's kind of simple. You just bite the bullet, you repent, you apologize, and you forgive yourself, and then you kind of leave them to make the decision about how they restore connection. So we're going to leave that one aside for now, but we're going to look at what happens and what do we do if someone wrongs us, and we're kind of the powerful person in the relationship to restore connection. Well, the first place we go to is forgiveness. In the Bible, when the Bible talks about forgiveness, it, um, it does so in terms of legal debt, right? So what it says is basically someone has wronged you and there is now a debt that needs to be paid. Forgiveness is defined as releasing them from that debt. 
it knows that the wrong can never be undone, but it can be forgiven and then therefore rendered powerless. Forgiveness is totally concerned with freedom. And freedom, by definition, will always cost you whatever holds you. Right? So if you want to be free, and forgiveness is all about becoming free, it will always cost you letting go of whatever situation you're holding on to. Because unforgiveness tethers you to whoever hurt you and enslaves you to the pain of that. But forgiveness is a choice to no longer let the past affect your present. As I was preparing this, I just thought it was really important to just talk about one more thing because I don't know if we always do a great job in churches about kind of cl- making clear this differentiation. And I feel on a topic like this, it is important. There is a real difference between forgiveness and total vulnerability. In, um, in this book, it's an incredible book, it's called Boundaries by Dr. Henry Cloud. He sums up the difference between the two really well. He says... Many people are too quick to trust someone in the name of forgiveness and not make sure the other is producing fruit in keeping with repentance. To continue to open yourself up emotionally to an abusive or addicted person without seeing true change is foolish. Forgive. Always forgive. But guard your heart until you see sustained change. So what is he saying? He's saying that healthy boundaries have to be navigated after repentance. Let's be honest, 99% of the time we deal with little offenses and the Bible tells us to forgive quickly, forgive often, believe the best and move on. And in those situations what we mustn't do is hold our affections ransom until the other person kind of earns their way back. But there is a difference, which is when you know that there is a relationship that is damaging. You are to stay the powerful person and put up healthy boundaries until you see sustained change. That's okay, and I don't think that we always do a great job of explaining that to people. And so if that is something that you feel like you're dealing with, And actually, as I was thinking, I could be really wrong, but I felt like there was maybe someone in the service that that really touched a nerve with. And so just come up. I'd like to give you this book. Don't do it now. Just come up and see me quietly at the end. And if that is you, grab the book and also just chat through it with your collective leaders because this is just something that we have to navigate through as a community. However, moving on, like I said, most of the time we are just called to be super gracious and quick to move on. Me and Hannah, in our marriage, we made a decision right at the beginning. And it's hard. We don't always manage it. But we use the language that forgiveness restores the standard. And so that means that if someone has done something wrong and apologized, not keeping a record of wrongs means that the other person is not allowed to ever bring it up again. Even if I make a mistake three, four, five times, it's the same one. Hannah just chooses not to bring it up. And I do the same with her. And it's, it's tricky. It's hard. But it's like we resolved. We resolved to love each other as well as we can. And so after forgiveness has been established, then we can move on to reconciliation. And reconciliation is one of these really beautiful parts of the Bible. In Corinthians, the Bible says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them, and that he has entrusted us with the ministry of reconciliation. 
Reconciliation in the Bible literally means an exchange. It means an exchange from a place of brokenness to a place of favor being restored. And it is the entire narrative arc of Scripture, right? So all the way from the fall to the resurrection, what we see is God's heart unfolding for humanity, whereby he lays his life down to restore us, to reconcile us from a place of brokenness back to a place of favor, which is why each of us who love Jesus sit now in a place of favor with the Lord. And then he gives us this this incredible challenge, and he says, I entrust you with the ministry and the message of reconciliation. So what is that? It's restoring relationship. And how do we do that? We don't count people's sins against them. We get to act just like Jesus when we overlook people's wrongdoing and we lay down our lives to see relationships restored back to a place of favor and connectedness. In John, just before Jesus is baptized, he says this interesting thing. He says, a new commandment I give to you Love one another just as I have loved you. And by this, people will know you are my disciples. It doesn't sound like a new commandment, right? If you go all the way back to Leviticus, right at the beginning of the Bible, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. And as Dave, when he was talking about ready for action, made. You know, that's always been there. So what's new? Well, the new part of this challenge, this commandment from Jesus, is to do it just like he did. And how did Jesus love us. He laid down his life. He gave of himself to see us reconciled and restored. And we get to do the same thing. Reconciliation is costly, but it is also contagious. You know, and as we get to reconcile things, we look a little bit like Jesus, and by that, people will know that we're disciples. Jesus never said, blessed are the peacekeepers, but he said, blessed are the peacemakers. Sometimes it's not enough to just keep the peace. What God wants to do is position you in places of conflict where you can go and make peace. And in that, we get to look just a little bit like Jesus. Many of you will know that I got to spend a year at Bethel Church doing their school. And they did this thing that I loved right at the beginning on one of the first days. They sat in front of all kind of thousands of the students who were there. And they just asked us, when you're part of this church family would you please take up a posture which celebrates who someone is without tripping over who they're not? Celebrate who someone is without tripping over who they're not. Wouldn't it be amazing if this church could take up that heart posture? Just imagine everything that we would accomplish, where relationships weren't discarded but were fought for and championed as crucial and where we laid down our lives for one another, celebrating everything that you are, and believing and participating in everything that Jesus is calling you to be. We're going to respond in just a second, and so maybe the the band could come up wherever they are. But first of all, I just want to read one more section of Scripture to you. And um, for me, this is one of those parts of Scripture that just totally, like, catches me out of left field. You know, you're just, like, you're reading it, and you're like... Man, I was not expecting that. And it's found in Matthew 5.23, and it's Jesus speaking. And Jesus says, If you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar first. Go and be reconciled to them, 
then come and offer your gift. Okay, so let's unpack this. What Jesus is saying is that he holds broken relationships in such importance that he says, leave the altar, leave that place of worship, and in a different form of worship to me, go and be reconciled to that person that you know you have a broken relationship with. And so let's make this like really painfully personal. Sometimes it is loads easier to stick 20, 50, 100 pounds in the altar than it is to send that difficult text or have that difficult coffee. And so for me, as I was thinking about this, it's like Jesus saying, Adam, I love what you're about to offer to me. It's amazing. It makes my heart so happy. But I can see that shard of glass in your heart. I can see that broken relationship. I can see that bit of resentment that's growing. So this is what I want you to do. Leave it. Leave your offering for now. We'll come back to that. Go and deal with that broken relationship. You and them is more important than you and me right now. So as the band keep on playing, I'm going to hand back to Bill in a moment, but I just want to encourage us to do something really brave, and that's ask the Holy Spirit where we're maybe doing the same, carrying like a, a bit of resentment in our hearts, a bit of unforgiveness, a time we kind of weren't brave enough to have that difficult conversation. You know, it says, if you realize that your brother or sister has an issue with you, Maybe you know that someone's got an issue with you and you're the person that God's calling to be a peacemaker. And you know, a text isn't often everything that needs to happen, but it's a great place to start. Just to send a text that says, hey, can we meet for coffee this week? Hey, can we chat? Or maybe it's not even someone you have a connection with, but you know that there's a bit of unforgiveness there. And actually forgiveness right now looks like letting it go and just praying a blessing on them saying, God, I entrust this person back to you. I cancel the debt. So the band is just going to keep playing for a couple of minutes. We're just going to be silent. I just want to encourage you to do that in the quiet of your own heart. Maybe close your eyes. No one's interested in what you're doing. And it would be really easy, you know, to leave, go into the sunshine. In a couple of hours, be kind of having Christmas dinner or whatever and forget. But this is so important to Jesus. And that's because Jesus knows what we need. And so I want to encourage you to do the difficult thing if you feel like you need to. I'm just going to pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you, God, that you're not just concerned about our relationship with you, but you're so concerned about our relationship with one another. And as with all things, God, that you promised to help us. God, we want to be a community together that just has terrific friendships Lord Jesus, we want to encourage and challenge and inspire one another, but we don't just want to settle there. We don't want to be okay with broken relationships. We don't want to be okay with unforgiveness. We want to guard our heart, Lord. We want to make boundaries when that needs to happen. Lord Jesus, we want people to look at us and say they must know Jesus because of how much they love one another. Amen.